Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of It's Not About You podcast with myself, Jamila Harrington. Uh, Marianne Riley is on her way. And um, our third host, uh, Jonathan Ziegel, will not be with us today. But we have a great treat for you guys. Um, celebrating Black History Month with me uh, is one of our guests, one of our amazing guests. So we've had him on the show before, and uh, I'm so glad he's back on. Uh, he is a he has a master's uh, in creative writing. You can catch his stories on TacomaStories.com. Um, he also has his writing in uh, A Shot of Jack on Substack. He's appear his stories has appeared on Grit City Magazine. I mean, this guy is a writer. He is every woman's wet dream when it comes to true crime writing. Uh, <laughs> our I, I, we love this guy too. Uh, Welcome, Jack, the Jack Cameron, ladies and gentlemen. Jack Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, and I, and I, and the funny thing is, I, I I say these these things because now it is there's a new norm when it comes to the true crime. When it comes to now that True Detective is out with Jodie Foster, right. all my lady friends are about that. You know. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, do you want to go out on a date? Sure. Want to come over to my house and watch, you know, the the uh, the current season of True Detective. Um, right. I had an ex-girlfriend who I was watching. Uh, what was that? Um, it was on Netflix. It was um, Mindhunters. Oh, yeah. And um, that show, at first I was like, eh, okay. But then after mm -hmm. a while, it kind of grabs you. you yes, know? it does. And yeah. it yeah. grabs you in a it grabs you in a way where it's so uncomfortable, and you're just like, but 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 I'm and and I like it. I'm not in. I mean, I I I I do like it. I love watching like the CSIs and all those courtroom dramas. But when you step it up a notch with a lot of um, crazy, the the women are into the. Can you tell me why? Do you have this answer? You want me to tell you why women are into true crime? Yes, because I, I, I don't know. I, I never thought I would meet women that would be into it, but... I'm not sure I know the answer to that, and and I kind of should know the answer, but I, like... like <laughs> my, my mom watches practically nothing but true crime, like, constantly. Like, to the point where I'm surprised she answers the door. <laughs> because if I watch that, I wouldn't. Uh, it, but uh, I, I think that there's, you know, there, there's always been the the female fascination with male danger because men are dangerous, and and, and like I, it, it took me forever to figure that out because I'm a big guy, and it, it took me forever to figure that out. That. Uh, that it's like my girlfriend's fairly small and uh, you know, she, she and she said something to the effect of it. It's kind of like walking around where there's bears everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and and when I thought about it like that, I thought two things. I thought, wow, that's dangerous. And the other thing I thought is I kind of wish a bear would hug me, you know, <laughs> 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 like, like I'm a big guy. I, 
I, I would need Chewbacca to hug me to be the same, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, but when, I'll get and, and, and welcome, welcome Marianne. I thank you. I always, now Marianne, she, and thank God you're here. You came at the right time, actually. Your, your time is, is impeccable. Thank you. We're talking about, um, we're talking about why women are so obsessed with true crime. Um, our guest here, Jack Cameron, is is, is a writer. Uh, he's we've had him on the show before. He's written a lot of crime uh, pieces, but a lot of people I always hear like, well, women are just using this as like a template for us, for like what they would like to do to us if we're stepping out of line. And it's like, but really, like, I don't think I, it's that. I don't think yeah. so. I know, like. So my, one of my sisters, she is an ambulance chaser only because she wants to see what all the drama is about. She's very much into the drama and like women, I think a lot of it is, is not so much like the true crime, but it's just that they, they want to know what's going on, all the gossip, you know, and be able to tell all the best juicy stories um, before everybody else. And for me, I'm the exact opposite. Like I've, I've had too much true crime happen in my life that I'm like, I don't, I don't need, I like, I'm all about comedies. I don't watch the true crimes, you know, and stuff like that. But I think, you know, I, and I'm not saying that I haven't, when I do watch it, it's usually will be something more along the lines of it, it's interesting to see the human nature. Same reason. Why do you watch survivor? You know, that human nature part of things. Like Survivor, I okay, that's one of my guilty pleasures when I do get a chance to watch it because my husband hates it. So, of course, he. if I do try and watch it around him, it's like, <sighs> and I'm like, fine, just change if, the fucking If anybody okay. should be watching Survivor, it's him for sure. Okay? He definitely should be watching Survivor. Get, and with the notepad. Right? <laughs> Right? I'm just saying. But it's that human nature and that human interaction and you see how and I, I think a lot of it too is there's also that that sleuthiness, like can, you know, the who done it. Can I figure out who did it? And and it's the mystery side of things, right? You know, it's who did what to who and why. So it's a true crime. You you don't know the end of the story, but like I know that if I want to know all the latest drama on, or even the news with the the true crime kind of stuff, I always call my stepmom. She has all the the information about who who did what to who and who killed who, and you know, like the latest on, on the the news. It's crazy to me. You know, my my father, uh, way back in the day, he was a bounty hunter, so all the people that we would hear the true crime like suspects about like he he has you know dragged them from one part of the country to another to you know and, and it's always it, there's always an interesting story man this guy chopped off everybody in his family's head off and then skip bail and it's like <laughs> you know it's like oh yeah we got it's like we got him chained to like the the toilet in the hotel room while he's visiting us, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, holy shit. Like the people that, you know, jump bail for the, the, the craziest things that they've done. It's almost like, you know, 
he's like, oh yeah, you're right. I got a lot of stories. I got stories. He's got stories. Yeah. And um, and it's just like you know, I watch a lot of, you know, I watch a lot of Law and Order because I'm always into like that kind of, you know. But I know there was a show that was, uh, and I don't know what channel it was on. It was talking about like females poisoning, uh, people. You know, Discovery Channel, it, Jamal. I do a joke about it. Discovery Channel, women who poison. Mm-hmm. Or snapped, or any of those. Yeah. There's. Yeah. It. It's. It. We have so much true crime stuff that even though crime is the crime rates are actually going down, we don't feel like that because we've never had this much information about crime that's happened. And it's ha and and usually it was more localized. You know, you didn't know about a murder that happened in Indiana, and now yeah. every time there's something like that, you can find it on the internet. You can, if you wanted to, you could really make yourself depressed. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yep. And yeah. And yeah. Oh my gosh. You and you know what? He's right because you could hear about a murder in Indiana, and then. Mm -hmm. Six months later, you'll see the trial of it on TV, like mm -hmm. the trial. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, that's right. You know, it kind of brings back memories of when you first heard the news and it's like, okay. And it's like, the jury has been selected. She's sitting here, uh, you know, uh, the witnesses are testifying against, oh yeah, you know, he, we thought he or she was, you know, they kept to themselves. It's always the ones that keep to themselves that are just mm -hmm. murdering their family. Always oh, got the voices in their heads. You know, it's yep. the ones that keep to themselves. And uh, oh my God, yeah, wow. Yeah, the, the, uh, there, <laughs> you know, it worries me sometimes because I will, I'm somebody who keeps to himself and I'm somebody who has voices in his head. But I'm a writer, so I'm supposed to have voices in my head. Right. <laughs> you know, but every now and then, I'll be like, you know, demographically, I should be a serial killer, but I'm totally not. Uh, you know, and part of that's just why my my like when I was a kid, I used to obsess about crime, trying to understand why people did did these things that put them in cages because cages seemed bad. And right. like bank robbery, I get it. Uh, sex offenders, okay, whatever they're getting off. Serial killing, I'm like, why you? All you have is like 200 pounds of evidence that you have to hide forever. Yeah. That's just a that's just bad criming. <laughs> like, yeah. like to my mind, I'm like, like if I'm gonna spend that much effort doing something, I I, I want more than a dead body to get rid of. I want. You know, I'd want money, like a lot of it or something. I just don't, you know, and, and you know, that's how I've always kind of approached it. It's why it fascinates me when I, you know, it's why I ended up writing about Tacoma homicides was because I wanted to write about, I wanted to write about the victims more than anything else. Right. Because... There's so much focus on the killer and the mind of the killer and, you know, all, all that. And, and to my mind, the much more interesting story is the one that's cut short. You know, it's the one that ends that that's the much more interesting story. You know, I don't really care about the story of the cops who killed Manny Ellis. I carry I care about the story of Manny Ellis. Um, 
you know, for example, you know, it's just, uh, and it just seemed like the thing to do was focus on the victims. And then I started getting the emails from families of the victims. And then I realized I couldn't stop yeah. <laughs> focusing on the victims. You know, that's really interesting because I can tell you that um, almost 30 years ago, this May, 30 years ago, May, my dad was almost murdered by his business partner and his two girlfriends. Yeah. Wow. His two girlfriends. Um, <laughs> and one of the girlfriends got off scot-free because she was having sexual relations with one of the female judges. The other female got six months and the business partner got five years. Just five years. Yeah. See, yeah. and and see all of that stuff that you just said is crazier than most fiction. That's part of is insane. So my my dad's like just so just kind of give you something sure. to to basis to go off of. My dad's a veterinarian. He was a veterinarian. Um the state board of veterinary <laughs> medicine. Huh? <laughs> The seedy world of veterinarians, clearly a dangerous in Las job. Vegas. In Las Vegas. <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, Vegas veterinarian. So, and keep in mind that in Las Vegas, the people who are running the drug trade are the cops. Okay, this is a very well known fact. I'm not telling tales out of school. This is the narcotics department, is the ones who run all the drugs. And the State Board of Veterinary Medicine approached my dad and said, we know that um, Dr. Rugemer is practicing medicine without a license. We know that you have all the evidence against him. We've been trying to get him for cruelty to animals and everything else for a long time. And you're going to turn state's evidence on him or we're going to take your license. So now he's in so, it whether he wants to or not. Yeah. So my dad um, was, he had a conversation with my brother. He said, I got to do something I don't want to do because he, he didn't want to have to do that. But so my dad and my stepmom were supposed to go into town because they were living on the outskirts and they were, my dad was going to be on television. Um, the Animal Foundation that he worked for Animal Foundation of, of Las Vegas, they were having their 10th, they were celebrating their 10th thousandth surgery of spaying and neutered. And since my dad had done most of the surgeries, he, they asked him to, to be the one on TV. Well, he went to go leave and my stepmom wasn't ready yet. And so she told him, go ahead without him. But he got a phone call from this woman saying that she was um moving and she was trying to get her cat into one of the carriers and the cat was freaking out and she couldn't get it in the carrier would he come give it a tranquilizer and help her put the cat in the carrier so he wrote down the address of where she was going to be at where she was at he got there knocked on the door and as soon as he opened the door he recognized her he turned around and they hit him with a baseball bat and drug him in the house and proceeded to beat him to death or almost to death clearly because they didn't 
finish the job. He said he woke up and he could hear the one woman who only did six months screaming, you know, stop, stop, stop. And they, the other ones were saying, no, he knows who we are. We got to kill him. And so fast forward, my brother was living in St. George, Utah, and my my stepmom was calling the cops, calling everybody when my dad never showed up to the foundation to do the surgery. So, especially because they knew that this guy, Rugamer was, Alan Rugamer was crazy, and he threatened them and, and threatened a lot of people. So, they called the cops, and the cops said, there's nothing that we can do until 24 hours, all that shit. So, my brother... He was, you know, he knew something was wrong. So he drove a few hours, went, to, you know, the next day he showed up in Vegas and he grabbed, he goes, where's dad's notebook? Dad takes meticulous notes. He writes down everything. So he grabbed his notebook, did the whole pencil thing to write, to see what he, the address that was on the pad of paper from the day before from the phone call. And so him and, and his now ex-wife, but they show, they drove to the address that was only a couple of miles away from dad's house. He shows up and there's two cops outside in a cop car. And so my brother gets out and approaches him and it's a house that was for sale, empty abandoned house. And when the cops asked my brother, you know, what are you doing here? Why? And he said, Hey, my dad went missing. This was his last known address that he came to. My brother said the cops went inside the house and literally he was Marianne within two minutes, there was 15 cops surrounding me. They called the cops. He goes, it was the most insane thing. They wouldn't let my brother in the house. They said that there was blood smeared over all the walls in the house. And so fast forward, we we finally found out what happened was is that they attacked him when they, they brought, they saw him, he recognized them. They knocked him out. They brought him in. They tried to beat him to death. I mean, like they were stomping on him, his groin, everything. And his, his face and they thought that they'd killed him, and so they laughed. Well, he came to, and that's where all the blood was, because he was he walked through the house trying to find his way out. He went out to his truck, opened up a pack of cigarettes to light a smoke, because he's a cowboy. And then he opened up his jockey box and gave himself a shot for something for the pain, because he was a veterinarian and he had all the medicine. He goes to pull out of the, the yard, it, but they had like a gate. And this is how much of an old time cowboy he was. He gets out of his truck, opens the gate, pulls out, gets out of the truck, goes, closes the gate behind him and made it a mile down the road before he lost consciousness. And that's where they found him. Wow. And the trial was even crazier because so they found a baseball bat with with hair on it and it got lost. The evidence got lost because the person who was the head of narcotics at the time called my dad and threatened to kill him if my dad went evidence. Of course, you know back then there was no recordings or anything. There's no proof you could you couldn't prove any of that shit, right? And. All this evidence went missing, all this other shit. I mean, it, was, it took five years before that shit even went to full trial. And this guy finally served any time. My dad, meanwhile, lost everything he had, including his, his ability to work. 
because it scrambled his brain so bad that he couldn't maintain his information. So my dad went from being a millionaire to being on welfare. And it couldn't have happened to a better person. Best thing that ever happened to him. Turned his whole life around. Well, that that's one of the things that I find when I'm writing about uh, uh, a lot of victims is quite often they're like, they're not just like, like some, a lot of them are straight up criminals, but there's a lot of them that are just these people that, uh, it's one of the reasons I call it Tacoma stories is because I feel like their stories were cut short. Like, like what they were going to do would have been something that right. were, you know, uh, they're, uh, especially with uh, the 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 younger ones, but every time it's one of those kind of things. Um, you know the you know the latest homicide I wrote about was was a guy who uh, he got shot by the cops, but he was shooting at the cops. It was it, it's hard to go. Uh, it, it's hard to you know go a cab on that one because. <laughs> right. Anytime somebody's shooting at you, if you, if you're not a cop, if you shoot back, I get it. But yeah. it, but at the same time, uh, you know, in writing about it, I had I, I didn't have a lot of information about him. I don't, you know, I don't have superpowers when it comes to that stuff. I can just find what I can find. And uh, and it, as I recall, his name was like Peter Collins. May I, I might have that wrong because my memory sucks, but it was something very common. And so it made it harder to find things about him. But I found his record, which was extensive. And I didn't really mention that because to my mind, I'm like, the guy's already dead. Right. And and whatever I, I, I you know, I've known some good people. I've known bad people. I've known some people have done some very bad things, but I've never encountered a person who all they ever did in their life was bad. Right. And so I, I and so I always try to I, I always try to write them assuming that their mother loves them and assuming their mother's going to read it. And which is uh, a good philosophy. Right. Because because quite often they do. <laughs> and and <laughs> uh, and that and uh you know I've been doing it for 18 years, and so I've had all sorts of things happen. I I've posted the wrong picture of the wrong person. <laughs> you know, I've uh, I've had death threats. I've had uh, you know, I, I've had uh, people tell me things that I shouldn't know. Um, <laughs> like they've told me things where I immediately had to contact the police and say, um, "Hey, I have this information. I don't even right. want this, in, but I have it." Um, <laughs> but um, but I also uh, get things like I got an email from this uh, young woman whose uh, mother was murdered by her boyfriend uh, when this young woman was eight. Mm. And I've been doing this long enough that she's now 18 and she wrote me asking or she was 18 when she wrote me. It was a couple few years ago. But she, it was 18 when she wrote me and she said, I just want to know the name of the man who killed my mom. And 
that was difficult for me because they go out of my way to not mention the names of the perpetrators. To my mind, they get enough press. I don't really want. They usually will say their their age or something, their their age and whether they're male or female. That's usually all you get about who they are. But I could not tell this young woman. I don't know. <laughs> so I did a deep dive and, and found information, said, here's who he is. Here's what prison he's in. Here's what I have. But uh, yeah. So, the, you know, there's it, it, it's a weird experience doing it, but uh, I've also had to cut down like I, I only post one a week. That way I don't get. Uh, too I was gonna say, yeah, how do you keep yourself, like when you write these stories, how do you not get like, just emotionally attached to the people that? I do, uh, that's why I That's why I don't, that's like, it's why uh, last year is when I started, uh, I realized uh, at one point I basically took two years off. Yeah. I, I just, I just I, there had been almost two years in between posts because it just got to me. But at the same time, I'm still getting emails from like, I got one email from a woman whose father was a homeless man who was murdered. And she said, your article is the only evidence that my father exists. Right. At, and, oh. and she hadn't seen him in 30 years since she was a little girl. And she, the only way she even, she knew he was homeless in Tacoma. And the only way that she even knew that anything happened to him was my article. And because so many news sites, they get rid of things after 90 days or they put them behind paywalls. And, 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 and quite frankly, a homeless murder doesn't get a lot of press. Um, that's one of the other things that I try to do. A lot of people were like, why don't you write more about Manny Ellis? And um, I have lots of feelings about that. Uh, but I, I really try to write a 200 to 500 word article about each person and try to treat them all the same. Because if I start focusing on one, then all of a sudden it's like, well, why am I not focusing on this other one? Because every single one of these is like a meteor strike to a dozen lives, dozens of lives, you know, because that like that's what I'm always when I when I talk to people about homicide, the, the thing is like like here, I'll just get personal here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my son, he's in his twenties and you're you you're all fired up in your twenties. I, I remember. Yeah. Um and he was really, really upset about something and he's like, I'm gonna kill this guy. And I'm like, okay, first off. Never murder hot. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like first, for starters, never murder hot. It's always a bad idea, no matter what. Even if they needed killing, don't murder hot. <laughs> Thing number two <laughs> is, yeah, maybe, maybe the person is a bad guy. Maybe he's done bad, uh, you know, whoever it is. Maybe there's all sorts of reasons that that person should die, but everyone that person knows is going to be impacted by it. And everyone that person knows isn't a bad person. 
and you're hurting so much more than just one person when you when, when like that's the thing people don't understand about hurting people is you know you you hurt somebody and you're hurting the their people too yes yeah and and it's uh like there's there's just so much grief with it that uh, I did. I told my I told my girlfriend I was like, don't even allow me to write about two homicides in a day. I shouldn't write about two in a day, even if I'm trying to get ahead because I post one a week. But um, but I try to I try not to write more than one a day because if I do, it just gets to me. I mean because these people are I, I, I've. You know, I, I was born in Tacoma. My parents were born in Tacoma. I know the uh, whatever street somebody dies on, I know that street. You know, and sometimes I know those people. You know, yeah. and so yeah, it is draining, but it's also one of those things that I I feel like I can't stop. Like if I stop, I have to get somebody else to do it. <laughs> And no, and that makes sense because it's something that it has it, an absolute value to it. Because like you said, most people, you know, they're looking at there's some of these people would be non-entities if you didn't write about them. Nobody would know about them. Nobody would know their stories or anything about them. And those stories matter. It, they right. took breaths. They, they walked this earth. Their story matters to somebody. And their story was ended too soon. Right. There was... I, I can't remember his name, and it was many years ago, but there was a guy like 10, 15 years ago. He was my age at that at that time, and we, we were the same age, and we had gone to the same bar that night. And I had gotten a ride home from my friend, and he had gotten a ride. I didn't know him. I didn't see him there. I, I didn't notice him there, but we were in the same bar the same night. He got a ride from a stranger and got murdered. Wow. And it, that one was hard to write about and totally freaked me out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, shit. Yeah, because I was like, I I was kind of, I, I, you know, and I've had, I've had things like that. I've had, um, like I said, I had the, uh, the, the death threat that, that was just, um, uh, Writing about gang-related things, if you start writing nice things about the person that the rival gang killed, that they, sometimes they get mad. But, um, you know, at the same time, I've also had, uh, you know, because I write about other things. Uh, the, the, I had one death threat from a guy who found me on Facebook. And uh, can we swear on this? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Okay. Because he said, he said, you got to watch what the fuck you say online. You don't know me. I'm fucking crazy. I live in Tacoma. I'm going to find you and fucking kill you. I'm off my meds. Blah, 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 blah. Like on and on. And I, I, I like, what the hell? So I just ignore it, you know? And like five hours later, he sends me this message says, Hey man, I'm really sorry about all that. I was off my meds. I, I took them. I'm good now. I'm really sorry. I just don't think Chris Evans is a good Captain America. I think you're wrong. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. And he was mad about my Winter Soldier review. 
<laughs> like, and I'm like, because he when he said, I'm like, well, what was it? Was it when I was talking about gun regulation? Was it when I was talking about Trump? <laughs> what, what's he mad about? No, he's he's mad. And he's and and on top of that, he's wrong. Chris Evans is a great Captain America. Right. Yes, you. Yeah, he's very entertaining. I thought he was perfect for the role. Who else would right. you, you want? Right. So 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 that guy into got me into the mind frame that it kind of didn't matter what I said. <laughs> like, yeah, no, like, I mean, like like to the haters, it doesn't really matter because there's somebody who's going to hate you for something. Yeah. So, you know, and it's funny that you say that. So I have a question. Take me through a scenario where like you live in Tacoma, like you said, you live in Tacoma, your fa- your, your parents are from Tacoma. Mm-hmm. You go out, you and your girlfriend to a nice right. dinner. Do you feel that people recognize you? Do you feel that when you go out and you try to have like, you know, you time, you time, and when I say you time, you're not writing your your mind is in a much more happier place, you know, you know, right. rainbows and sunshines and bunnies. And but do you ever feel like whenever you're doing things outside of what you're doing, like whether you go to a Rainier's baseball game or 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 right. at, 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 a, at a Fred Myers, do you feel people are like watching you? Do you feel like people oh, know no. who you are? No. I really don't. And I might be naive that way. Uh, And it's probably partially due to um, hanging around with the late, great Sonics guy, Chris Brannon, because when I walked around with Chris Brannon, that was when I read, that's when uh, that guy got recognized. Yeah. Like it was insane. I, I, I never got to ask him how the hell he managed to do what he did when it came to, like he would have a conversation with me, be mid sentence, stop to talk to somebody who's like, oh, Sonic's guy. And then he'd come back with, with finishing the sentence. You're uh, basically describing all of our relation, our entire relationship with him, me, Marianne. Yeah, right. that was the, you could you've hit the nail right on the head with that. Yeah. Yeah, he was so present and it was just amazing that way. Uh, like and I, you know, I went to high school with the guy. So uh, oh, I got really? to watch him. Okay. Yeah, um, we. Yeah, he was uh, one year ahead of me at Wilson High School, and um, there, there are they're lost to time, sadly. But we made we made home movies back then, and I would pay anything to have those now. Mm-hmm. But because uh, those were um, they they were they were silly and amazing and stupid and <laughs> like mm, great memories. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a lot of fun and uh you know and I, I, I miss the guy but yeah um when i'm walking around tacoma um there there's a lot of people i know like um there's places that i go that i i know i know people you know and but um for the most part uh you know i i i don't think i've i don't think i've ever had somebody stop me and say hey you're the tacoma stories guy like that, that, that's never, but really, okay. I mean, it's just like, I mean, cause Tacoma, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not a huge town. Like you said, like Sonic's, like Sonic's guy could go anywhere in that town and be recognized. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
He's been right. on TV. He's been newspapers. Like he, he's one of the most, not for that, he's one of the most recognizable people in Tacoma and Seattle. One of the most, right. I mean, just recognizable. But as a, as a person who is a distinguished writer, such as yourself, who write about these things. And the thing is, they're near and dear to the heart. People mm. are reading about the people you write, family members. I mean, mm-hmm. are, you're writing about the victims of these of, of these heinous crimes, and I mean, you, your name has got to be somewhere like oh yeah, written, written by Jack Cameron. Right, right, right. And uh, you know, I I don't know. Maybe if I put a picture of me next to it, but that'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> like that's uh, like uh, I don't know. It'd be. I, I think it'd be really weird for me if somebody went, "Hey, you're the Tacoma Stories guy." That 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 would. That, but um, I do get, you know, I do get quite a bit of email from the Tacoma Stories thing, uh, and it's and it's not always about the homicide I just posted about. Quite often, it's something I posted about ten years ago, where uh, or you know, there's one who uh, she writes me every now and then, and just to tell me that she's still thinking of her lost loved one. And I assume that's just part of her grieving process. Like that's the other thing is I I try to welcome any emails that aren't threatening me. (laughs) Like like I I try to, because to my mind, they've already lost a loved one. What is it that I can do to help? Uh, You know, if, if my article, I, like that's the other thing. If the, if I said anything in the article they don't like, uh, I'm pretty quick to change it if, if I need to. You know, um, it, sometimes that gets difficult when they want me to change factual things, but um, yeah. but typically uh, that, that's a that's a rare occasion that happens. I mean, I'm pretty sure you go through, you know. You, you you are above reproach when it comes to I mean, because like you said, you got people who, you know, who read this, who may want to comment, who may want to reach out to you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and again, the stuff that you write about, I mean, again, like I'm thinking about all the things that you've been saying. I'm like, wow, what is his safety like? Like, are you looking over your shoulders or, or do you have good? Okay. So whenever you're not, writing about these things here like i want to know about what what do you do for fun because man you're depressing <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, okay. I, i'm kidding i i first no, no, of all i will say this i do respect what you do that's this is why i got i i asked you to come on the show because i i, I know what you do it, it, we had you on here the last time and what you do is i mean you're pretty much doing the lord's work and it's got to be it's got to be hellish trying to come up with one story a week but yeah. now i'm more now i'm interested in when you're not doing these things whenever you're not writing um mm-hmm. these, these stories what, what are you doing to get your mind off of those things what are you doing to decompress <laughs> uh or usually you decompress yeah you usually reading watching movies or reading comic books uh i've been uh i've been on a x-men comic book binge for the last like since the beginning of 2024 i decided i wanted to read the recent krakoan era of x-men which is like 600 issues so (laughs) but to give you an idea of how many comic books i read 
I'll be done this week. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, so I, I'll dive deep on a long term on long form storytelling is like kind of my jam. But um, but to your your uh, you, you mentioned like walking around uh, and, and you know if I feel like dangers afoot at all times or or anything like that. There are parts of Tacoma that I prefer not to go to and or not to spend much time in. You won't see me on the bench at 72nd and Pacific, you know. Um, <laughs> I won't be walking on Hosmer. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I've got a, you know, Hosmer has had, I, I think it's five homicides in the last year and a half. Uh, like, and like three of them in the same parking lot. Like, you know, it's, there, there, there was an article last year in the News Tribune, I think it was where they were talking to uh, one of the uh, cleaning ladies at one of the motels on Hosmer. And she had these two hatchets that she had holsters for that she just had with her, you know, for when she's cleaning the motel rooms, sometimes things get dangerous. And I'm like, that's insane. She's got like, lady shows up with hatchet holsters. I'm done right there. I'm, I'm out. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, they have, um, I don't have PTSD. My girlfriend thinks I do, but <laughs> because I will, like, you know, if you do see me in a bar or a restaurant or something, odds are I can see the exit and odds are I've looked at every single person in the place. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got, you know, um, to use every crime show's phrase, uh, I have my head on a swivel. Um, but um, but when it comes to, you know, like, like I said, I have my uh, son in his 20s. And a few years ago, uh, he was the victim of a crime. He, he was stabbed uh, over at the 7-Eleven over by Wrights Park. Wow. And he was he and his friend got stabbed by this guy who uh was mentally ill and uh, it punctured his lung and uh sliced his liver and he literally he he drove himself from himself and his friend from the 711 to TG to Tacoma General wow. which was like uh you know it's like three blocks but still yeah uh, you know, and I, I have pictures of the car because he basically just abandoned it in the ambulance parking. There's blood all over it, and it was it was terrible. Uh, but then uh, then I get the police report on this thing. By the way, the guy was never arrested or charged for stabbing my son. So, but I asked for the police report. They sent me the police report. And the really freaky thing to me anyway was the free, it was not redacted in any way. So they had questioned the guy who stabbed my son, and they had listed his first and last name and his home address. And so then I'm sitting there with the home address of the guy who stabbed my son and didn't get charged for it. I'm like, Mm, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I, I shouldn't have this information. Yeah, but did they ever tell you why they didn't charge the guy? They never told me why, but I think I figured out why. 
Um, what ended up happening with that guy, by the way, was about three months later, he stabbed somebody else. This time they did arrest him for it, and then they found him mentally incompetent, and he's been in an, a, 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 a mental institution ever since. But I don't know why the second guy had to get stabbed for that to happen, except that uh, the yeah. guy, what, what happened was it was like two in the morning, and uh, it, the 7-Eleven clerk uh, and my son got into an argument because they didn't want to sell him beer because it was it, it was it it wasn't quite two in the morning, but they had already switched things or whatever, whatever reason they, he didn't want to sell him beer. And so they got into an argument, and then when my son left, the there this guy came up to him and said, "I can't even remember what he said." He said some nonsense thing to him and stabbed him. At which point, his friend got out. Uh, my son's friend got out of the car and tried to get my son away from him, uh, from the guy, and the guy stabbed uh, my son's friend in the hand. And then they took off to the, uh, you know, they got away from him, And but the, the, but the clerk had reported that they, that, uh, that my son was the aggressor, which was insane for many reasons, not the least of which he didn't have a knife and the other guy did. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, the other guy had zero injuries. Um, it, it was a very quick thing that happened because a mentally ill guy had a knife. But uh, it, when 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 the crime, but as somebody who writes about crime, and I I've been, you know, I I'm friends with Mark Lindquist, uh, who used to be the Pierce County prosecutor. I'm um, acquaintances with some of the other prosecutors. They know a few cops. Um, I, I know this area, uh, you know, um, and I, hell, I, I lived two blocks away from that 7-Eleven uh, years ago. Um, so, so when it hits home like that, it just reminds me of what people are going through every single time I'm writing about these things. Yeah. And it really does matter. It's very impactful. Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably the most important thing I'll ever do, and it's weird because it start. I swear to God, the reason I started writing about it, it was a joke. It was literally I, I, a friend of mine from Seattle in uh, the early aughts uh, was saying how Tacoma was so full of crime because they were thinking of Tacoma mid nineties, right? Uh, yeah. And 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 I was like, it's really not like the nineteen nineties anymore. And then I just kind of offhandedly said, you know what? I bet I could write about every single homicide that happens in Tacoma, and I wouldn't even be all that busy. <laughs> now, oh. I was wrong eventually. I was right yeah. at the beginning. I was like, when I started in 2006, I was right. It was usually it was 12 to 18 homicides a year. So I'd have to write like one a month and a big deal. But it's gone up significantly in 2022. We had like 45 or 46, depending on how you count that. And that's a record. You know, we had 33 in 2023. Uh, I think we've all, we're only at like two or three right now, but you know, the year's young. Um, yeah. If, if, if they, if the murderers of Tacoma, 
take a year off and don't kill anyone in 2024. If they did that, and I kept writing one a week every week, I would catch up by this time next year. But that's how long it would take if I was doing one a week every week and nobody else died. So you know, I, it's, I haven't it's, figured out what I'm going to do when it when I do catch up, when and if I do. But the thing is, I've lived in Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, for eight years. I go to Tacoma all the time. My mom lives in Tacoma, and we hang out and you know, hang out with Marianne in Tacoma, whatever. And it's like I never I know the kind of reputation that Tacoma has, or any city for that matter. I mean, for Tacoma, it's a very small town. So for even for me, like 30 murders is a lot for Tacoma in my, in like 30 murders in New York, that is two months right. at best. You know, well, the, like a, good, a good example is uh, New Orleans. New Orleans is Ooh. not that much, it's, it's a little bigger than Tacoma, but it's not that much bigger than Tacoma. And they have 200 murders a year. Yeah. Holy like, so, yeah. so when it comes to, like we had that, um, you know, I, I, I'm forgetting his name, but um, the, the the that the guy that ran the bagel shop that was on a vacation with his husband in New Orleans, uh, and he was from Tacoma, and they and he got killed in uh, New Orleans. I think it was a robbery or something. Um, but yeah, there's there's towns that are so much worse off than Tacoma, and um, I, and really. I, you know, I, it's not that I don't feel safe in Tacoma. Like anywhere, there's parts of town that you don't want to be. And, you know, like, you know, like my grandmother would say, nothing good happens after midnight. You know, <laughs> like if, if if it's two in the morning and you're on Hosmer, run. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's certain places that you but but by and large, uh, it's safer than a lot of places and um it doesn't snow nine feet ever <laughs> thanks <laughs> you know and the funny thing is is that i always say you know like seattle people because tacoma has that really bad reputation from the mid 90s and late 80s mid 90s i'll tell you mm. what i would not even drive on i-5 through tacoma in the mid nineties. I would drive <laughs> all the way over the mountains through Eastern Washington just to get to Olympia, you know, in, because it was so scary. It was so bad. I was here in the nineties. I, in the 1990s, I literally, I had a shell casing collection just from wandering around my neighborhood. Oh, I um, believe. Yeah, it was, there was, um, you know, the, the um, cops, the Tacoma cops from that time uh, they would say that um, literally they had it, like mo most most uh, police departments, they'll tell you about the shootings that happened the previous day. Um, during the mid 90s, they were doing the shootings that happened the previous shift. Yeah. Because there was just so many that, that you know, it was, and that, that's that's the. That's another thing about like my awareness of Tacoma crime uh, uh, back around uh, 1999, 2000, around that time, I was working for the law enforcement support agency doing police records. 
which uh, was just transcribing handwritten uh, police reports into the computer. And let me tell you, that was like the best job for a aspiring crime writer <laughs> because it oh, was yeah. like it was 50 stories a day. It was it was and, and it was and not only was it 50 stories a day, but like I said, multi-generational Tacoma in here. So uh, sometimes it would be, oh, I went to high. I went to middle school with that guy. <laughs> he beats his wife now. Oh. Oh, who knew? <laughs> no, like, like, like it gets weird because sometimes you'd run into people that you knew. Um, but, uh, but at the same yeah. time, it gave you a much better idea of what crime happened in Tacoma as opposed to what you see in the newspapers. That to me would be the most awkward thing ever. Like, you can't talk to them about, like, look, you right. d bag, I know what you did to your wife last month. You right. Shit. Right. And they're like, Jack, how are you? I haven't seen you in forever. How have you been? It, it there's there's uh when back then uh there was a guy who uh was a uh a friend of mine from elementary school. I literally had not seen him since sixth grade, and he was murdered. And this was before I was writing about homicides. Oh wow. But it was when I was working at the law enforcement support agency. And so I um, asked around and got to the point where I could talk to the detective in charge of the case because I wanted to know what happened. And I, I'm glad I don't remember the guy's name because I'd probably say it if I did. <laughs> but um, he was like, if you took a hard-boiled detective and hard-boiled him some more, yeah. he like I, 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 like I'll try to do my best impression of what he, what the conversation was like. I told him my, you know, the guy, the victim was my friend. What happened? And he goes, "Stupid fuck ran after a guy who was stole his fucking radio. The guy with the radio shot him." And I was like. Do you have any suspects? And he's like, Jesus fucking Christ, they should just wall off that whole fucking neighborhood. The only person who's not a suspect is the goddamn fucking Vic. Like, he was so, like, like wow. needless to say, that homicide was never solved. Wow. And I wasn't shocked that it wasn't solved because it was, because it was, like, that guy wasn't going to solve anything. He was a guy who should have retired five, ten years ago. He was clearly so burned out that he just didn't care. Yeah, it's a, it's another day for them. Right. You know, and I think that that's one of the hardest things, you know, that a lot of people don't realize with the cops is that when they do see this kind of crime on a regular basis, they do become very hardened to it. And they dehumanize not just the the perpetrator, but also the victim. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Um that's that's absolutely true. I've gone on ride-alongs with cops, and it and ride along. Do like I advise anyone who can to do so, um, because it's eye-opening on multiple levels. You get to see how cops treat people and how cops are treated, and what a given day is like, as opposed to an episode of cops. Oh yeah, because it's so different. But 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 there very much is a 
a, a dehumanizing that they have to do because it's just not a natural thing to put somebody in a cage. Yeah. Um, it, 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 like a, putting another human being in a cage is just not something that, that humans like to do it, it, to other humans. So it's better if we can pretend that they're not. But it was really like, like the first ride along I went on, the guy's like, well, it's a Monday and, uh, you know, it's day shift. So it's probably going to be boring, but uh, we'll try to arrest somebody, make it interesting for you. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What did you just say? <laughs> like, <laughs> somebody's going to be arrested for my entertainment? Like, <laughs> and, and and the scariest part about that ride along was right around like, uh, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes before the end of the shift, we arrested somebody. Because we're going to have to go back to headquarters anyway. So, you know. Yeah. And 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 it, and we could have arrested any of the three previous people that we had talked to. We just chose that one. But the second that person was in the car, he started talking about her like she was not a person. And it was really, really, really creepy to me, like uh, like how quick that switch was. Uh, and and you know the thing the thing that I do, the reason I write about these, I, I write about all of them like they're people, because they are, you know. And it, it, so, but I get it, uh, you know. It, I, I don't know that you could be a fully effective cop and fully empathetic. I mean, yeah, I exactly. did. I did go, I did go on a, oh, you're raising a hand. I. Miss Vargas, welcome to the show. Hello. Hop on in, girl. Hi, Jessica. Hi, guys. I just happened to chime in. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was invited and I just wanted to say on that part, um, did you hear the, the cop that uh, basically planted uh, about 400 uh, he planted drugs on uh, 400 people. I have not heard about. It. He was recently indicted. Yes. Uh, where was this? Is this? I don't know local? where. Um, I mean, I don't know where. I watch a lot of crime. Right. Uh, I'm I'm now into huge yeah. crime and and videos yeah. and and you know on the crime. Uh, what is it? The the crime network, and then I go on to the um. You know, like the police uh, mm -hmm. that do wrongs, and 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 they have videos of of the police like like mishandling, you know, yeah, the victims well, and putting the yeah. victims in and shaming, and then when the other cops, this is another video too that I saw that a cop, actually a sergeant, you know, was harassing the victim, and he was basically pushing him in, in the cop car, and the and a woman, one of the um, cadets was like, hey, you know, um, take it easy on him. And he put his hands on her throat and he said, you know, don't you effing talk, and talk to me like that ever again. And she was like, you know, holding her hands up. She's like, back up, back up. And everybody had to pull him away from her. And eventually he, he was, you know, um, charged for assault. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the I wrote a thing a while back, uh, Grit City Magazine used it, uh, where I, I said that there, there's three kinds of cops, uh, in my view. There, there, there's the Boy Scouts, 
the the guys who all and I, I'm I'm I I'm not trying to be sexist here. I'm just saying Boy Scouts because you know I guess you could say Scouts. Um, but, um, but 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 the Boy Scouts who just want to do good, who genuinely want to be you know uh, superheroes. There there's the adrenaline junkies who are just there for the high the high of the chase, the high of being able to do things that you can't do if you're not a cop. You know, they're just there for, they're the ones who definitely showed up when Ed Troyer wanted help. Um, you know, yeah. But, and then you have the bullies who were bullies when they were kids and were bullies in high school and realized that the only way to keep being a bully was to get some authority. Yeah. And, and, the thing of it is, in the right mix, that works. But if you, ha but it's almost always the wrong mix. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I had I went on this one ride along with the where, you know, on a domestic they always have two units show up, and so it was this domestic where, I, where as soon as they the guy I was with who was kind of a gung ho guy. I mean, to give you an idea of the how gung-ho, the first thing he said to me was, see the switch here? This unlocks the shotgun back here. You see me get into any trouble, don't get on the radio or any of that shit. Just unlock the shotgun, shoot the fucker. <laughs> and I'm I'm just fast-forwarding in my head to the courtroom and going, I believe he said shoot the fucker. I mean, <laughs> like, 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 I... I he didn't even ask me if I'd ever fired a gun before, before he said that. So that's the kind of guy he is. So we're going to this domestic. And as soon as he finds out who we're going with, like the other unit that's going, he's like, oh, great. Like he is not happy. And I'm like, Why, what, what's wrong with this guy? And he's like, we're going to be there for two hours. And he didn't say anything else. And I'm like, okay. So we go in. And it's just this young couple that were arguing really loudly. They didn't, neither one had hit each other or anything. They just neighbors, small apartment. We were there for two hours because the other cop happened to, before he was up, he was a pastor. Oh. And so he literally sat down with them and was like working out their problems. And like it was really like the guy I was with was like just he was beside himself with it. Like he, you know, he he wanted to leave so badly. And I was watching something that I'm like, this this is what should fucking happen. <laughs> like like exactly. rather, than, rather than just dragging the loudest one to jail and and calling it good. Um this is what should happen. And it was so weird to watch it in that frame because i'm also you know the guy i the, the cop i'm with is like get out of here you know because <laughs> because he's more of an adrenaline junkie guy yeah you know and and it really is it does really show you that when the cops show up it's a luck of the draw who shows up oh, and what their personality oh. is how that outcome is going to play out Definitely. The, 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 my biggest thing when it comes to police and police reform is community policing. Um, my dad tells this wonderful story about uh, his first day at Stewart Middle School. 
when it was Stuart Junior High at the time. It, it was you know early '60s, and the uh, liaison officer saw him and said, "What's your name?" And he has the same name as I, I, I do, and he's like John Cameron. Uh, and uh, and the cop looked at him and went, "Sister Joy, brother Jim, you live on Fifty Third Street." Because that was the that was that cop's beat. The cop knew who lived everywhere, and they knew him, and. I think if we had more, like, if you knew that when you called the cops, you were getting Officer Miller, who you knew because he walked your street and you oh, saw. Big difference, yeah, big difference. That that is, it, it it it. There was uh, my my girlfriend and I are, are <laughs> we're watching Barney Miller. Uh, <laughs> I've got the box set of Barney Miller, and there's this episode where. The entire precinct is turned into uh, the homicide unit. They're, they're, they've decided that, that, you know, the bosses have decided that it's no longer going to be a local precinct. It's going to be the homicide unit. And the guy, the, uh, the recurring character, this guy who's always getting robbed at the local convenience store, and he came in, he, he comes in and says, hey, they robbed me again. I need you to come down and help out. And they're like, we can't. We're the homicide unit now. And he, and the character in the show, uh, ends up getting killed by a robber because he didn't report it, and he got robbed again. And he didn't report it because his local community police wasn't there. Yeah. And and even though it's you know it's a sitcom, but it's a very real kind of thing. If you could, if you you know, if if you know who you're calling, it's a whole different thing. And 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 not only that, but it's a different thing for the cop too. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the because the cop, if he know like that, this is that's the thing. If if the cop who killed Trayvon Martin or Manny Ellis or any of them knew their families first, yeah, I don't think they could pull the trigger. Like, uh, because you, if you know these people, it, you know, if you know people, it's really hard to, to unless you're, unless you just not a, unless you're not wired right as a human being, um, it, it's, it, 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 you know, it's, it's like a right, it's a, one of the writing tricks that, uh, you know, Dan Harmon talks about is, you know, um, you don't care if I break a pencil, but if I name the pencil Steve, and then I break it, a little piece of you dies. What you're saying, what that does is it eliminates, well, because it eliminates that fear that they have, because uh, if they don't know you, right? Um, you know, but if it's like, like, if I'm friends with somebody, or I know them well, I'm going to be as friendly with them as possible. I'm not going to try to be I'm not going to act malice towards them because I know you, I know your family. Um, right. And even if there's, and even if we come to a point where there's a situation, we know how to handle it because I know you, I know how to push your buttons. I know how you can push my, you know how to push my buttons. I always find that because I, my biggest fear, even in New York 
Houston even, um, is the police because I'm a minority and right. the cops will look at me. Now, I don't know. I mean, Jessica, you're a, you know, you're a Latina. I don't know how the cops would view you. I mean, you're probably less of a threat than me, you know what I'm saying, uh, as a black man. But I always feel like every time I'm being pulled over or a cop detains me, it's, oh, they look at me as a black person first. That is very threatening. I don't know. Am I right or wrong, Jessica? Like, uh, help me make would, sense out of this. I would say probably back in the days, um, cops treated me differently. Um, my younger partying days. Uh, nowadays, uh, after you know Trump won the presidency, and then and then gonna COVID, all that happened. Houston changed. Um, the police, uh, that's another story. But in living in Houston, I was born in Puerto Rico, but I've been here forever. Um, I realized that, that the police have changed, um, whether it's the funding, whether, you know, it's it's whatever happened with the COVID, but they don't have any patience. And when I was First, going out when the mass mandate came out in Texas before New York, because, you know, Texas is a, you know, a red state and they wanted masks off and everything. And and uh, so um, I would I would be timid and go out. I got pulled over twice. They both sheriffs for no reason. Um, they said and I had my signal on, which is B.S., um, and, uh, yeah, they told me to get my immigrant ass out the car without even knowing what I am, you know? So that happened twice and it scared the living crap out of me because I, you know, got pulled over by big sheriffs. And then, um, another time instance, I went into a gas station. This is like right when COVID quarantine was, was, um, in the peak of its time, People were had to wear masks, and I went into a convenience store, and I saw a policeman, and I saw three other guys, and I was like, "Officer, do you have extra masks? Because I don't see any in, in the store." You know, I was just, you know, trying to be nice, and he looked at me like really ugly, up and down, and he's like, "You know what? You, you, why would I supply a mask to you? You're an immigrant," and and to these three guys, these black guys behind me. I would arrest them ASAP. So, um, yeah, I'm the wrong person to talk to. I'm just looking at him and I'm like, okay, his name is Sheriff, blah, 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 blah. So I can report him later. But things have changed in Houston. It Back in the 80s, it was bad. Back in this, all the way goes back to the 60s. You know, cops did not report. You know, you've got the story of the Texas killings of the 45 killings. That man lived four miles from my house. And I were famous on Netflix because it was in Leak City. And that's called a road. I lived four miles from that house. He had 30 women buried in his backyard for three decades. And he was accomplice, but he was ruled out because a bullet fragment was compromised. 
So the police, every time it was a girl that ran away, that disappeared, oh, it's a runaway. Oh, it's a runaway for decades and decades and decades until the 90s when the 12-year-old disappeared from Friendswood and then the Galveston girl disappeared in uh, late 90s is when Harris County, this is all in Galveston County, Harris County stepped in, the federal, the Fed, FBI finally came in and stepped in. I mean, I'm telling you, Houston cops, I'm sorry if you're a Houston police officer, I, you know, I grant you salute, but for those who were corrupted back in the days that did women so bad, that treated women like, hey, oh, they must be runaways because they were, you know, 16 and partying, um, but but yeah, it has a bad rep. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out the Netflix series, The 45 Texas uh, uh, Killings. That is an actual story. And I lived through it and I couldn't watch the whole thing because I, I I lived through it. You know, I remember all those, those times. So Houston police, and I'm sorry, one more thing. The crime rate after at Katrina rose not 80%. Yes, it did. In 2000, in Katrina, right after Katrina, 80% it has remained at 80% wow. till this day. You know, it's funny that you say that. I went, um, I went to Houston, I mean, right after Katrina. As a matter of fact, it was the Christmas uh, of that year. And when I got there, there was... One thing that I've noticed, because I took the bus, actually, I didn't fly to New York uh, from New York. I actually took the bus from there to New York. Um, there was Houston PD was all over the city, especially downtown. And the my buddy who I stayed with, my best friend, uh, got his car broken into while I was staying there. I mean, somebody wow. threw a rock. Luckily, he didn't keep it. He didn't, you know, he doesn't even keep his radio in his car. It, but they broke into his truck and he had to pay like $125 to get the truck, to get the window fixed. But it was just, it was rampant everywhere you go. It was just all the people, the victims of Katrina went from the, uh, the Mercedes Benz stadium to Houston. And it was, it was just, a riot. It was a ruckus. I was there for, I was there for a week and a half, and there was criming every day, every waking moment. Somebody was doing dirt. Uh, yes, Houston. I can contest to that. I lived in 2000, 2006 by myself. I could do my laundry at midnight. I can, you know, off offsite and go to Walmart. I love going at night because nobody goes at night. Yeah. Um. And then after Katrina, I lived in Fuqua in, in um, South Houston by Ellington Field. I know you, you know where that is. Yeah. Yeah. So I lived there and, you know, it was a nice area. But Katrina, um, I, I swear, you saw people that you never seen before. Um, I lived by the pool. So I would, you know, one time I, I got out of my apartment, I was doing laundry and there's like two you know, guys standing on the other side of the pool and one guy standing on my side of the pool. And the guy was like, like had his hands to his face and he was licking his lips and he was standing, they were staring at a woman, you know, a, a, a nice, good looking woman. 
And there was just, he was just looking at his lips and, and I was like, excuse me. And, and he looked at me, he's like, Ooh. oh, her battery died. Oh, no, her, her battery died. Let's lie. Charger. Uh, and a cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh, boy. Talk, yeah. God oh. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's uh, but yeah, she was right that the the crime in Houston has gone up, and it's crazy how a hurricane can mm -hmm. migrate so many people to another city to to affect its infrastructure. And I mean, there was so much crime; the cops could barely the cops were so overwhelmed. Right, it was crazy. Yeah, it, well, it's it's like. You know, here in Tacoma, we had that, we had, you know, in 2022, we had, you know, 45, 46 homicides. Um, and, and then this uh, 2023, we hired 20 more cops and our homicide rates down 30%. Our, uh, you know, it, it, there, there is like the, it's funny. I, I wrote this article about uh, police reform uh, for the weekly volcano. And um, they decided not to publish it. They, they, like literally the editor, what she told me was, your article will piss off Democrats and Republicans and I don't want everyone mad at the paper. And I'm like, well. What it was will the gist off. of it? What was the uh, gist of it? Well, it was, there, there was a lot in it, but uh, one of those things was community policing. Um, the, the other is, um, you know, defund the police it was a stupid slogan that got a lot of Republicans elected and isn't a good idea. Um, it's funding the police correctly. Um, because the thing is with like, and I know that people like to say that defund the police doesn't mean defund the police, but then you need to say other words because those words have definitions. <laughs> right, exactly. But, 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 but defunding the police, um, like the way I look at defunding the police is first off uh, the military equipment that they get, the surplus military equipment they get. Not all, I don't know how many people know, but that equipment is free to them. They literally only pay shipping. They don't have to pay for that equipment. So if you're defunding the police, they're going to get more military equipment and they're going to have less training on it because you defunded the police. And so you put those two things together and then you vilify cops and say, all cops are bastards. Well, you do that. And now who wants to, who like, who wants to be a cop? Right. You put it. So, so with the with ACAB and defund the police, what you've done is effectively make it so they'll have a lot of military equipment, not a lot of training, and probably be white supremacists. And if you <laughs> and if you put all of that together, what you're going to end up with is more innocent dead black people who are unarmed and shouldn't be. And 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 so that's where. So that that's that was the part of the article that they clearly would upset the the Democrat, you know, the the the, the left. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, it has to be acknowledged that there is systemic racism throughout police departments throughout the country on a level yes. that has to be addressed. 
Jack, you have not said that loud enough and too many times enough because I've been saying that for a long time. Right. Look, but, it's impossible not to talk about that. It, it, it's like yeah. it, it, but the, the pushback that I get. Mm -hmm. And I love it when people tell me this. What racism? I mean, Tim, I mean, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley did not believe that racism happened in South Carolina. I'm like, Tim, you're a fucking idiot because you're a black man. You can't spell racism without South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, the the racism is obvious and rampant, um, and 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 the thing that's like the thing that proves that point that that proves the point that it's systemic is that quite often there will be there that quite often there are black officers hurting and killing black people, and they're doing it because of the systemic racism whether they know it or not. They're doing it because everybody's told them that these guys are bad guys and yeah. they don't want to be seen as secretly more black than blue. Yeah. And so they, and, and yeah, the, the, my line about racism in America is basically it's, 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 it's like a layer over everything. Like, you know, when you dig in soil and you find the part where there's an earthquake? Well, if you dig into any given topic in America, at some point you'll find the racism layer where racism did something to <laughs> fuck it up even more. You know, it's like the South was an economic boom town, you know, boom towns everywhere. Please ignore the slavery. Um, <laughs> just ignore that statue that we have the the one they tore down in south carolina and no no was in uh the robert e lee statue yes yeah. right all right we have to we have to go backwards jessica was right in the middle of a story right yes, in the middle of yes, a sentence yes. that cut off and left us all on a cliffhanger okay uh so the story that um, I guess I was saying, uh, what was it? Uh, can you remind me? Because I have short-term memory loss. You were at the swimming pool. There was a guy licking his lips because it was a hot chick he was looking at, and you said something to him. Yeah, I was. I just said, "Excuse me," you know, and he looked at me and he looked at me up and down. And he was like, "Oh, oh, hey, what's up?" I was like, uh, pretending like I had a husband in my apartment. I was like, "Hey, babe." I'm Hey, I gotta go. You know, like I'm, I, I gotta go. I have a boyfriend, or, or uh, I have to go to my husband. So I ran up the stairs, but I, I reported them. But the the point what I was making is that after Katrina, I I actually had to move to another apartment, and then I lived next. And then eventually, that apartment I lived next door a crackhead, and he had a wife, and. Yeah, it was just Houston just got so bad as as far as the cops and um they they are getting better but there's still so many unsolved, you know, homicides in Houston. That's why that police the the chief of police left 
he had so many unsolved cases underneath him that he was probably involved. Um, and he left to go to what, Florida and then he got kicked out of Florida. Um, but wow. so bad I, you kicked out of Florida. Yeah, he got, yeah, exactly. Kicked out of Florida. So he was not a wanton man. And a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, uh, he, his dad was a policeman. He was retired, but, um, they had beef. He had a head beef with the one of, with one of the guys. I don't know. Long story short, he was, uh, murdered in his apartment and, and uh they they what the cops did is they you know how when you go into a scene they take out they took out stuff they took out a piece of a carpet and when mm -hmm. the family got there they were picking up you know his brains and and and, and you know and stuff and and they're like well why is this carpet missing and the cops were like oh you know we don't know what happened it was it was a uh, you know um it, it's a non-solved murder it's all soft case right. um so it, it, it's it's horrible to hear that but it, in houston it's half and half i tell people like when they move here like hey stay away from this area stay away from guns point stay away from Fifth Ward that that now they built the Houston camp <laughs> U of H campus on, um, which is getting better, but it's still Scott Street. I know Jamal's familiar with that area of downtown, um, but yeah, it's it's a half and half. It's just you know you you just don't know what kind of cop is going to approach you or pull you or pull you over, but. You know, there are a lot of, I have a lot of friends that are cops and they're good cops and they're good guys. But, you know, you always hear the stories on the bad news of bad crooked cops. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, Houston's, um, but I wanted to bring up a topic. The, um, in Seattle, Jamal, you lived in Seattle. Philadelphia, there's an area that they call the drug area where people go to move there just to take drugs and stay there. Mm -hmm. Basically, the community or people have to go and sweep up uh, needle caps on a daily basis or needles. Um, or if you get, you have to wear like st steel toe shoes to walk in that area. Otherwise, you'll step on a needle. Um, they have places like that in Skid Row in Los Angeles. San Francisco it's, is turning into that. It almost well, Oregon. I know that I think all of Oregon has done that, but it almost. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the show The Wire. Kind of reminds me of, uh, I believe it's season three where uh, they had um, certain sections like the the rundown sections of Baltimore. Yeah. And they allowed free flowing drug trade with no uh, repercussions, as long yeah. as they, as long as they were in what they call the safety zone, yep. they were allowed to trade drugs, do drugs. It was called Hamsterdam. That was the name of the. They, they called it Hamsterdam, and this was based on an idea that one of the Baltimore mayors, um, I think, had, and they called him the most dangerous mayor in America because of that idea implemented and they implemented it on the show. And uh, yeah, it was crazy, but 
I'm so that's what it kind of reminds me of. I am hearing that there are more of these ideals coming out um in Portland, Oregon, they are allowing you could walk around with crack, cocaine, meth, certain uh, is a small portion of it, but you could have it on your persons and not get arrested. Yep. Believe it or there's not. A, there's a YouTuber that does that, that goes to rural areas. And of course he's got, he's protected, but he'll go, like I said, to Philly. Um, see, they had Portland on there. They had Skid Row, but they also had an area. I forgot the. I think it was in. I think it was in Florida, where people purposely moved there. No, it was a part of Hawaii. People purposely moved there because that area is like the purge. They control <laughs> the cops. Like. They 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 walk around with weapons. They walk around with bats, with the balls and the chains, and 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 guns, and and do drugs. And 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 the cops are like just walking around, you know, the area. And it literally, I was watching the video. I was like, this looks exactly like the purge. Like nobody's <laughs> doing anything about it. Uh, the cops are getting killed if they do something about it. So. What is happening in America? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Well, the thing is, I think what what's happening in America is uh, people are always going to get high. That's just one way or another. Uh, drugs, it's a billion dollar industry. I, I don't think you're ever going to. I think the war on drugs is the biggest joke in America. I'm yeah. sorry. It is. I've no, never won the drug war. It, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, and and the funny thing is, like, I would watch these. I would remember these, these YouTube, not YouTube, but these these commercials. This is your brain on drugs. This, <laughs> this is your brain on drugs, and it's the fucking. I can't even eat fried eggs anymore because of that fucking commercial. But and, and not thinking about getting high because of that damn commercial. But it's it's these anti-drug commercials. It's these. Now I'm not saying that. I think if if you want to know how you can keep your kids off drugs, how about we start off with just being parents first? Thank you. Right. Well, okay. Let's. Yes. I, I think what the issue is now, and 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 I'm and I'm not even going to bring this up a little bit as well because this. Uh, I'm tired of hearing parents bitch and moan about things like, "Oh, my kid got cyber bullied." on your platform, Mr. Zuckerberg, we want you to pay for that. It's like, right. hold on a fucking second. Whatever happened to parents taking responsibility? Okay, right. I was bullied I was bullied when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? I didn't like it, you know? But I knew that if I was getting cyber, if someone was writing shit about me on social media, I could always turn off my computer. I could turn off my phone. I don't... Have to, I could delete that friend or delete friends who are associated with them. You know, I'm tired of parents not holding themselves responsible. And right. the thing is, I, I, and, the, and, and I say this because I'm not a father. So it's easy for people to say, well, 
what do you know about raising children? What do you know about educating children about this and that? Well, I may not have children, but I do have a niece. And I see her all the time. And when she's here, I make sure that I, I'm not, I don't shield her from shit. I don't do that because that's to me, that's fake parenting. I say, when she asks me a question like, why are those two girls kissing? I don't shield her from that. Why are those two girls kissing? Because when you get older, you may not understand it now, but when you get older, you will. Sometimes women, women like each other. And it's like, that's just the thing. Why are two guys kissing? Same thing. She, she's not, she won't be able to process it and understand it at age nine or at age eight. But when she's maybe 17, 18 and in her, and, and in her, in her, in her twenties, she'll be, Oh, this is what uncle Jamal, uncle Hayden was talking about. And she'll understand it. I don't shield her. From, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't drink or smoke weed around her. That, that, that's just, <laughs> you know, like that's just, you know, I don't do none of that stuff around her. But the thing is, we could only shield our children from so much, but we cannot yeah. be afraid to answer those hard questions. That was all, right. I, me and my, my daughter, I mean, my daughter, my niece, we're watching a movie and in the movie, Two guys are kissing. And then first she says, ew. And I'm just like, I don't say nothing because I'm like, okay, I don't want to be like, yeah, you're right. Fuck those gay people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do, I don't want to like initiate that to her. But the thing is, she's like, why are they kissing? That's not a girl. That's a, and, and I explained to her as elementary as I can, because I, this is a, I never think I would have this discussion with my niece, but at the same time, I think this is something that she's gonna, I mean, we live in New York, a lot of, she, she's gonna, that's gonna, that's not even gonna be the weirdest shit she sees on TV. We live in a city where weird shit happens on her front stoop all the time, and we have to explain this, you know? So I just kind of feel like it, instead of trying to shield our children from things, we need to let them understand why certain things are bad. You right. know, or, or 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 not even why bad, why we do certain things and well, why get them to understand better rather than just be like, don't do it. You know, like that. that right. No, you always want the reason behind it. And and, and like you know, my I, I, my son is 26 years old. Most of my friends, for whatever reason, they had their kids about 10 years uh, after I did. So they're all dealing with teenagers right now. Mm. Uh -huh. and, and, and these are people who are good friends of mine, but they never really asked me for parenting advice until now. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, guys, folks, it's too late. <laughs> like, it's way too late. It, it's way, they're 13 and they're a problem. Well, guess what? You've got a problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> First off, all 13-year-olds are problems. That's okay. But <laughs> second off, you know, like my son, uh, he doesn't make, you know, he, he, what I know about him is he knows how to make a good decision. I made sure that he understood that. He doesn't always make the decisions I want him to make, but that's okay because that's what kids do. 
Um, yeah. you know, I, 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 like this, this, this is so much sappier than I typically am. But I, I, I tend to refer to my kids as just a piece of my heart that I can't control. Mm, that's so true. Because oh, so true. It hurts every time any anything bad happens to them. It hurts, and I'm like, why did you do that? Or why didn't you make this other choice? Yeah. But but I and at the same time, you know, my 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 line to him is, hey, when I was your age, you were four. So um, you don't have, you know, I'm not a grandpa. So, so oh, just wait, yeah. just wait. That's that's the best thing. Cause so my my oldest son just turned 30. And my youngest one is 28. My oldest one has three kids. And I'm telling you. What you said is so true because I always said, like, as a parent, there is this a woman you, you don't you don't realize that there's this little switch inside your body that your child, as it passes through the vaginal canal, the birth canal, and on its way out, flips that switch, and it's called guilt <laughs> because you have never felt guilt in your life i was raised irish catholic we know about guilt but it compares not one bit to that child once they're born in this world and something happens you feel a guilt that is like nothing you've ever experienced in your life yes it is definitely a part of your heart that just oh i i i, I what i tell people whenever i'm it, whenever I'm going out of my way to help my son with something or something is I, I just say, look, there is one person on this planet who's here and it's partially my fault. Yep. Everyone else, <laughs> everyone else. It's not my fault that you're here. I'm sorry that the world yep. is, how it is, but, but there is one person who is here and it's kind of my fault and so I feel responsible, regardless of how old he is. I, I want to help him out because he's my son. And yeah. uh, I, 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 I love and hate that. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I wrote an article in uh, Grit City Magazine called The 3 a.m. Phone Call that was all about the 3 a.m. phone calls I've gotten from my son because I've gotten quite a few of them. Um, he, he, he lives an adventurous life. He, he's a very much the child. My mom cursed on me. Oh, um, God. my mom, yeah. said, I want you to have a child as challenging as you were for me. Uh, and, and oh, shit. that's, that's a threat. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is worked. It worked. Uh, you know, he, he is a challenge and I love him for it, but uh, you know, at the same time, Make sure my phone's on. That way, it will ring at 3 a.m. when and if he calls. Because when he calls at 3 a.m., it's never anything good. It's always something really, really bad. Yep. Um, he he grew up on Tacoma's hilltop. He has had 27 friends die. And wow. Yeah, and he yeah he has had so they they they've been murdered. They've a lot of them have overdosed. He's had three or four that have overdosed on fentanyl in the last year. Uh, one of them oh, was wow. one of them was uh, not this past New Year's Eve, but the previous New Year's Eve, as we were going to uh, into 2023. 
he was literally partying with that guy. That guy uh, went, uh, he, he went home and uh, he went home after the party and he found some fentanyl in his, uh, in his car and took it not knowing what it was. You know, just thinking, oh, I'm partying, what the hell? And you know, he didn't didn't wake up, uh, and uh, that was how my son started last year was with his good friend Amari dying, and uh, so he he's had more tragedy in his life than I have, and uh, and uh, yeah, but but at the same time, you know, he he's really introspective about it. You know, he he says that he goes, it makes me both not want to have friends and also spend all my time with all my friends as much as possible. You know, that's just a, re a reality check that the things that our kids go through. Right. Was yeah. Not a for us. It wasn't a challenge. Yeah, it, we didn't have the things like the fentanyl and all of that stuff. I mean, like I was never a partier anyways, but it's very scary mm -hmm. about the yep. things and, and how much worse, like I'm so scared about how things are going to be even worse for my grandkids. It's so fucking yeah, scary. Right. It's, it, 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 it's terrifying these days, uh, all of it. Uh, and, and it's why you gotta sometimes look at other things, take a day off, um, you know, I, I will occasionally have a no screens day where the only screen I look at is my Kindle. But, uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it because sometimes you just got to unplug from the world because yeah. the can, you know, I there's all <laughs> sorts of reasons to be sad and upset and depressed. And you can find them if you're looking. But yes. there's also just so much good, you know, um, my. Like my, my son's been through so much, but at the same time, he's so loving. Like mm -hmm. he loves, like, like this is the kind of guy he is <laughs> just, just to gush. Him. Yeah. He's got knuckle tats, right? But they say love and life. I mean, <laughs> you know, and uh, he's got uh, from, and he's got another one on his, uh, on his uh, hand that says do better. Uh, you know, so he, he's got all this positive stuff that, uh, yeah, that I, I just love about him. And it's, uh, but, but yeah, being a parent is scary, but I'm with you a hundred percent, Jamal, that he never complained to the teachers about my son's grades. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not their fault. I never complained to Verizon that my, uh, uh, that my son is texting too much. <laughs> yeah. Or or you're the the mother that's suing PlayStation because right. their son is playing too much video games. Right. That. Yeah. yeah. No. That, true story. Yeah. None of that makes any sense to me. Uh, you know, it's always, um, you know, like I'm glad he's 26 because at this point, no one's going to blame anything. Wow, but, 26? It's, it's, I, I mean, it's just the fact that I, I see a lot of this and it's almost like, okay, at what point are parents looking at themselves and saying, it, it's the parents 
should be saying, I need to do better. And and, and don't wait till your kid is 14. That's <laughs> just the thing is it that time is already lost now. The time yeah. that you should be the, the nurturing time when your kid is, you know, a toddler to five years old. Um mm-hmm. And then, and then you neglect, and all that neglect in between, that neglect never goes away. They right. always remember that neglect. It's, so, it's true, Jamal, you're, you're 100% because I grew up in a Catholic, really Catholic religious house, but my parents loved each other and they loved us. And they taught us at a young age, you know, drugs are no good, of course, school does the same thing and you know I was just terrified of substance abuse and 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 I didn't know and and I guess at an early age eight nine you know I knew better and then when you get into middle school that's all the kids are doing in sixth grade is introducing you to acid and and roach pills back in my days it was like roach pills acid I'm like sixth grade, like, okay, you guys are crazy. You know, like I knew better. It's like weird. I knew better. You know, I didn't go to school high. Yes, I did maybe one time drink alcohol, skip school, come back in and, and you know, was drunk and then just passed out on my desk. And I was like, what was the fun in that? So I knew at a young age and my parents they did a really good job because I was a gamer. I video, I played video games. I also did, I was also outside, but I was so into video games, Nintendo, PlayStation, 64, Xbox, whatever. But PlayStation, I would play 12 hours straight. Me, my brother, he would play. I would play Silent Hill, Doom, um, all the horror games, and he would play uh, Final Fantasy, and we would just, like, switch and watch each other play, but my parents, they knew better, like, I was going to go out and, you know, I would play that shooting game, uh, what was it, Uh, I always forget, Um, where you're just killing people, you know, and Grand Theft Auto, you know, I'm not going to go outside and go start shooting people. Like I knew better. So it's, it's the parenting. It's not the video games. I'm sorry. I didn't come out as a mass murderer because I played those mass murderer games. hundred percent. And on top of that, you had both of your parents to show you an example. You know what I'm saying? Uh, some 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 now some kids don't have that luxury and i under and i get that i give sometimes i give them a pass but if you're a single mother or a single dad you still have that responsibility to make mm-hmm. sure that when you say oh my child is everything you make sure that your child is your everything okay because all it takes is for you to sl- slip up before your 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 kid is you know doing meth to do to well, the- Peer pressure. There, there's a, a line. I can't remember where it's from, but it, it was something like the only person who's going to remember that you worked late a lot is your children. Yeah, and uh, and there, there, that there, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of like, yeah, you're like like the problem with parenting <laughs> in a lot of ways is. We all, I think we all go, well, I'm not going to do what my parents did most yeah. of the time. Most of the time, there's something that our parents did that we're like, well, I'm not going to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, and with me, with, with, with personally, with me, with drugs, I didn't, I, I similarly, 
was like, well, you guys, I can't figure out life as it is. I don't need drugs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Then, (laughs) like, it was like right after high school. And and, uh, so I managed to get through all, you know, all through grade school without it. And then literally the day my parents split up, just coincidentally, the day my parents split up, I smoked my first joint. And I got high and I was like, oh, shit, it totally is broken families that cause drug use. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was high and I was like, oh, well, I'm, huh. But uh, I've always felt that the anti-drug movement never approached it the right way. Because telling kids that it's bad isn't going to work. Telling kids that it's not good for you isn't going to work. Telling them that it'll kill them isn't going to work because they're immortal as far as they're concerned. Yep. Exactly. Let's, let's bring do. out the real history here. Let's bring out the real history of how drugs were planted in the 70s, 60s, and 80s from the CIA. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so so the, but the, the way to approach the whole anti-drug thing is Name the five things you spend money on. Now erase them because you're spending your money on drugs. Drugs are expensive, especially illegal drugs are really, yeah. really expensive. And and not having enough money for something is something young people can understand. It costs uh, your money, your life, yeah. your your yeah. Your well, like I had I, uh, I, I had a friend who uh, this was years ago. I had a friend who he told me uh, I. I He's like, I did cocaine for the first time the other day. And I, I was like, well, that was dumb. But, <laughs> and then I asked, well, what was it like? You know? And he goes, you know, I've done a lot of drugs. This is the first drug I've ever done where the first thought I had wasn't I'm high or this feels interesting or whatever. He's like, the first thought I had was I need to get more cocaine. <laughs> and he goes, that scared me. And then a couple of weeks later, because apparently it didn't scare him enough, mm. he said, he, he goes, I, I did cocaine again. And I said, you stupid idiot. And he goes, what? And I'm like, no one in the history of the world has done cocaine twice. It's never happened. You either do it once and go, that's not for me, or you do it until your life falls apart. You've chosen door B. You can't even choose not to smoke or not to do yeah. more cocaine a third time. You're going to. I. I have been offered cocaine so many times in my 12 years of doing comedy of comedy. It is. And and the thing that upsets me the most is the people that offer me cocaine obviously did not listen to my set because I do jokes (laughs) about weed and how much I love weed and how much like weed, 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 weed all day. I, I mean, just a quarter of my set is on weed. And then I go outside and I'm hanging out with my comic friends and I'm smoking weed. And some guy comes up to me like, hey, man, good set. You're very funny. Want to do some cocaine? What? And I get upset. I'm like, no, I don't want to do cocaine. Like, first of all, did you even understand? Did you even look at my listen to my set? Nowhere did I mention cocaine or 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 any like, you know, so it's just like I, I and it. It always happens. Yeah, I got some cocaine, man. You want to, you know, you want to do it near my, tr- you want to do it by my trocell or whatever. And it's like, n- n- no, 
No, I, 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 I've been in many rooms, hotel rooms, where there's cocaine and everything, and it's like, and everyone's having a party, and everyone's having a good time, and I always think to myself, this is how, I know, like, this is how it started for Pryor, that one, right, and then, you know, I don't want to go down the Richard Pryor route where I'm spending two thousand dollars a month snorting cocaine, going down that downward spiral. Oh my God. You know what? I have never been offered any drugs and people don't even huh? fucking buy me drinks when I'm on stage. What? Yeah. That's not That's completely right. rude. Mm-mm. I know. First of all, I don't drink anymore, so I don't care. And I don't do no. any drugs, so that's cool too. But it's just, but what's you want to be offered. They're not going to offer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The next time you and I do a show and somebody offers me cocaine, I'm just going to point to you and be like, I don't want it, but I'll offer it to her. She'll feel good about it. <laughs> I would just feel good about that they offered me cocaine. And then I'd be, like, be like, hey, that guy over there said that you're into cocaine. What do you say, miss? <laughs> <laughs> they take one look at me and they would know there's no way in hell that fat bitch is yeah. into cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine is yeah. a hell of a drug. It, yeah, it's it, not. It, it is definitely not. Yes. Okay they you. can see me doing weed. Built like I am, they'd be like, yeah, she's had too much weed. <laughs> <laughs> she passed know. out on the floor. She had too much weed. <laughs> Bucky. Look, I've gotten massive. <laughs> I've gotten so fucking high just from people around me passing pipes. That I was like, okay, I gotta tap out. I'm so fucking high just from being around you guys smoking. <laughs> I need to go put my head on the table. Yeah. Oh my god, this has been a a really incredibly, incredibly engaging uh, show tonight, and I'm so thankful for both of you guys for coming and joining us. Just yeah, we fun. always love seeing you, and. Always, always love. You always have such a great uh, insights on things, and thank you so much for sharing those. And Jack, holy shit! Yeah, mm. we definitely need to have you come back again. I, I want uh, both of you guys back together again. Yes. Yeah, anytime. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, and we are getting toward the end. So let me ask real quick, Jack. Do you have any socials? Anything you would like to promote? Sure. Uh, I have a weekly newsletter uh, at Substack called Shot of Jack. Uh, it's at jackcameron.substack.com. Uh, it's uh, usually about crime, crime fiction, and whatever else I'm up to. It also has a uh, serial crime novel that's finishing up. Uh, that That's on the paid tier. But uh, the, the weekly newsletter is absolutely free. And of course, tacomastories.com always free and it always will be um there are people who are doing paid subscriptions on tacoma stories which is helping pay for it which is amazing and i, I and i just want to say shout out to those five people because it's literally like five people but <laughs> that's amazing jack that you do really great very- work and, uh i really appreciate you taking us down that journey into your head and how you you do it man it's uh, again, more power to you, bro. You do. Yeah, I, I, and thanks for inviting me. And uh, again, I, I'm happy to come on anytime. Thank you, Jack. 
You bet. You want to take us out, Jamal? Sure. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been our show. Our special thanks to the Jack Cameron. Thank you again, Jack. And of course, our lovely reoccurring hostess with the most, I, I, I say hostess, but um, reoccurring guest, Jessica Vargas. We love having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. At, at, like Marianne said, we, we do appreciate your input because you, with what Jack is going through, you bring sunshine to this podcast. So <laughs> thank you for being the yin to Jack's yay. <laughs> and um, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you have an issue with your parenting and you want to blame your bullshit on somebody else, uh, <laughs> remember, it is not about you and blame us all you want. Bye, bitches. Ah! <laughs> uh, I